Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also... Not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> and edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hello and welcome to Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnocky. I'm sitting at a table and at that table are two other people and they are Jess Perkins. Hello, Jess. Hello, Dave. And Matt Stewart. Hello, Matt. Hi there, Dave. <laughs> We've just been uh, waxing lyrical about how your voice is quite low, Matt. Lowest in the room. All right. <laughs> welcome to the show. Okay. Go as deep as you can. With your voice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is I don't know if this is deeper or just more crackly. Is this deeper? Hey, hey there, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is pretty really deep. deep. That's deep. I don't. I need to harness the power I've got. I have no idea. It's like it's an unbridled. Yeah. Unbridled. Well, you need to uh, work out how you can monetize that. Monetize. Voice. It's unmonetized. There we go. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Untapped potential. Ooh, oh, I like oh, the way you phrase that. Oh, baby. Mm, mama. You're, yeah, you, you can do quite, quite low, Jess. Oh, no, I can't. I'm a lady. J-Lo. 
<laughs> How J-Lo can you go? How J-Lo can you go? Not mm. low. Not that low. Mm. Not that low. I like what I'm I I'm a delicate hear. feminine lady. Yes. I talk nice and high all the time. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's move on from deep voices, please. Well, uh, my voice isn't that deep, so I will move on uh, and explain that this is the show where we research a topic and uh, well, one of us researches a topic and reports back to the other two, taking in turns. Uh, Jess Perkins, you are the one. We were going to be listening to your feminine voice over the next sort of hour or so about about a certain topic that Matt and I have no idea what you're going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, just a little disclaimer at the top that this is probably one of my least prepared topics. <laughs> you say that every time. No, I know, but this time I literally finished it on the tram on the way here. That's so great. It's fresh. Every, every time you think this is as low as it can go, <laughs> and then you... And then I do it even lower. Oh. It's just been a very long week. It's, I haven't had time. Anyway, it's... You know what? I only have myself to blame, but I just don't want to get any tweets like, um, actually... Like, just, just fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, we have a lot of uh, 16-year-old girl fans uh, tweeting us Who are really into facts. I like those. I like it when people correct Jess. I don't. It hurts me. (laughs) I'm doing my best. All right, so we always start with a question, right? Yes, we do. Okay. Now, my question for you, you boys, is who is the most famous bad boy in Australian history? I mean, DWR... I guess you're not quite Ooh. famous. No, enough. but I'm ranking up there with the bad boys. You are boys. definitely a bad boy. Yeah, you're a bit of a bad boy. I'm the baddest boy in this All right. room. Wait, was it in Australian history? Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the modern day ones, you'd have like... Um, Who's a bad boy? Carl Stefanovic. Mm, okay. Oh. Is he yeah. a bad boy? No. No, what, okay, what, like great. Like a TV Squeaky reporter. Queen. <laughs> Squeaky, okay. So I'm on the wrong track Wrong there. track. See, the one I want to guess, I have a funny feeling it might be right. John Howard. No. Oh... But I don't want to. If I'm my guess, and I reckon this is probably right, Ned Kelly. Correct. <laughs> that is really good. But now I want to think about. You've thought of a bad boy. I can't think of any other. Are there any other bad boys in our history? Well, I, I thought it was bad a bit boys. of an easy question because, like, Carl Sandelin. There's other like, you know, criminals, outlaws, whatever they may oh, have been. Yeah. But this is an Australian one, and really, and he was quite one. young. Does a bad boy have to be young? No. I don't think so. Okay, bad old bad boy. Mm. (laughs) That's my favourite kind of bad boy. An old bad boy. Geriatric bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) Optimist Geriatric. What a market. Look at him waddle away. (laughs) That bad boy swagger. Mine's old enough to be wheeled away. Dead bad boy. All right, too far with the bad boys. Um, So, Ned Kelly, that's very exciting. He's a very famous person in Australian history for anyone who may be from elsewhere. We, we do have overseas listeners. Yeah, we totally do. So I wonder if Ned, do you reckon Ned Kelly has penetrated uh, history for other countries? I wonder. Uh, a little bit. I know Mick Jagger played him in a film. Oh, that's right. So yeah. did Heath Ledger. Exactly. He's... Academy Award winner. Yeah, and the Heath Ledger one was quite a popular film, but I don't know how much exposure it got. Yeah, overseas. probably. I don't think he got a lot overseas. But it was, it was quite big here. Yeah. Um, I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Great film. Powderfinger in it. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Well, what? Bernard Fanning is. Right. I don't know if the whole... I think three of them... I thought the whole band was... Because they play like a... Do, they yeah, play, what do they do? Well, they, they're just like a band in one of the pubs. And they wrote like some bush ballads or something Yeah, to, and to Bernard Fanning singing. And then Bernard Fanning also did a song that plays right at the end called Shelter for My Soul, which is really beautiful. Just a little fun fact there. I'm, I don't have fun facts at the end, so I'm You just, don't? I don't. Hey, oh, Jess, here's a fun fact. Yes, this no. is our second report. Mm-hmm. 
on an Irish-born bearded Australian from the 1800s. Well, are we talking about um, Mr. Burke. Burke? Mr. Burke, yeah. Mm. Fun fact. Fun Our, fact. We've uh, lowered do the go standards. On, do go on specific fun fact. <laughs> All right, so sh- um, shall I tell you a little bit about our mate Ned? Please do yeah. go on. I'm How much excited. do you know? Do you, well, you probably know quite a bit. Uh, probably just the, the standard school-taught stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot. I know his last words, mm-hmm. or at least what they say his, his last words. His alleged word. last words, yep, I'll talk about those. Oh, yeah, I know I'm he's fine. got a wax head in uh, the old Melbourne Gale. Yep, yep. Have you seen uh, his armour? Pronounced jail, I think. Have you seen his armour uh, at the State Library? Arm. Yeah, I reckon I probably I, did. I didn't know him personally, but we've got we've got some history, I'll tell you that. Yeah? Do you? But we'll come to that when the show kicks on. Oh, okay. Okay, wow. okay. well, that's a bit of sizzle. That's exciting. Sizzle. So, let's start with uh, with his family, basically. So, his father, John Kelly, was known by um, went by Red. He was an Irish gamekeeper and he was found guilty of stealing two pigs in 1841 when he was 22 years old and he was transported for seven years to Van Diemen's Land, which was uh, obviously later named Tasmania. Spoiler alert. So he's a gamekeeper that tried to steal pigs. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Yeah. So what kind of, of games he was keeping? Monopoly? <laughs> he's the of Monopoly. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. You should be playing Monopoly, not with the pigs on the boat you go. Cheeky. Cheeky. Anyway, so he gets uh, sent off to Tassie, and when he was given his ticket of leave, he crossed uh, to Port Phillip District, which is now Victoria. Did you know we were called Port Phillip District? Yeah, because it was that when it was in New South Wales. I said yeah, but no is what I meant to say. Sure. <laughs> Two options for that question. <laughs> More accurately, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> anyway, so he yeah, he comes across to Victoria, and he settled at Beveridge, which is around 25 miles or 40 k's north of Melbourne. And it was there that he met Ellen Quinn, who was the elder sort of James Quinn, who John was working for at the time. Um, now, John Quinn had arrived in Australia as a bounty migrant with his wife and six children. And the bounty migrants are the ones who were paid to come here. Generally, they were like young, skilled workers or um, newly married young couples. The idea sort of being that they could help literally build the colony in terms of like they were skilled, they were tradespeople, so they would build it, but also like families so they would sort of build a community, right? So It's kind of like those um, miners in Western Australia now, but you don't get to go home after three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fly-in, fly-out job without the flying. Yeah. Ship in, or going don't ship home. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're pretty much stuck here. And it was quite rare that larger families would have been given the bounty. So it was kind of, um, yeah, it was kind of rare that they came across because, yeah, they had six kids. Um, the point is that they were a nice, law-abiding family. Ooh. Okay? So they, they had no... Uh, was John, no cool, was John cool with Red dating the, his daughter, the oh, boss's daughter? Uh, no, he was not. Oh. He was not okay, but mo- not because of like, uh, not because uh, John had been working for him, but it, mostly because um, of the of his criminal background, criminal history. Yeah, not good. So they, um, his, uh, her parents objected to her her relationship with John or with, Red with the pig thief. With the pig thief, stealing two pigs. Oh you know. yeah, I mean, steal one pig, shame on you. <laughs> Still pigs twice. Mm-hmm. John's not happy. As they James. say. John is the ba- the pig stealer. Yep. He's John's not happy, not happy with, with being deported there is what we I go. was trying there to say. There we go. Nailed it. Anyway, um, I should also note that John Kelly was 30 and Ellen was 18. Bit of an age difference there too. Yeah. Not a big deal. Loves love, you guys. Loves love, but also like, but 
back in that day, you're sort of closer to death at 30, aren't you? So. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they eloped. Now, I, I found two different variations of the story. One said they eloped to Melbourne. One said Ballarat. <laughs> so they went either of those places. And, right. And they eloped. And they were married on November 18, 1850. And when they returned to Beveridge, they were forgiven by her family. A little begrudgingly, but uh, but he was sort of welcomed into the family. So that was all fine. Here, here Dad, I cooked you a roast pig. Not again. Oh, red. Show me the receipt. <laughs> Here it is. Got it at Coles. Sounds, sounds like trouble with pigs ran in the family because, you know, Ned had... Oh, police officers' pigs. Very good. <laughs> it took me far too long to get it. I am tired. <laughs> Very good, Matt. Keep those zingers coming. Okay. <laughs> Keep those historical zingers. Yeah, take that, you pigs. Uh, sorry, police. <laughs> I love the police. Do you? I love the police. I've got some cop friends. They're good people. People <laughs> say, I love the police. Sting, great work. Great work. <laughs> Honestly, that's well, that would have been a lot funnier. That would have been. Or at all funny. That's why Dave is the funny one. Anyway. Funny am boy. I, am I? <laughs> funny bad boy. I'm the bad boy. You're the funny boy. Ooh, I'm just the skinny boy. Jess is the silly boy. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. You are a silly boy. Also the tired boy. Yeah, very tired. I'm so sorry. Okay, um, I'm mostly sorry to myself because I'll have to listen back to this. <laughs> um, now, Ned was the third child and he was the eldest boy and he was born in Wallen Wallen in June. Well, actually, again, I've seen uh, June 18... I've seen December 1854 or June 1855. It's disputed when he was born. So somewhere in that six months he was born. Okay? I accept. Sometime 1854 to 55. Either way, he's 150 years old. (laughs) If he's still alive, which I'm not sure. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, no spoilers. I don't know how the story ends. He might be still alive. 160, I think, uh, Matt's boy. Well, that would be true. <laughs> oh, we got him! It took like 25 episodes or whatever fucking episode we're up to. 27. But we fucking got him. Well, to be fair, I was just saying Fuck you're over you, 150 years boy. old. Which 160 Fuck is Fuck older you. than 150. Fuck you. Fuck you. I want people to know that Matt and I are dancing aggressively. <laughs> it's quite aggressive. Um, yeah. I haven't That's seen an anything. in your fans. Fa- in, your, in your fans. In your face <laughs> dance You haven't seen anything like that since... Beat it. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Terrified. Fuck you, Dave. It's nothing oh. better to me in terms of dancing than bad boy musical choreographed dancing. Oh, it is great, isn't so it? Like good. gang dancing. The gang, but they're all classically trained ballet dancers. Yeah. That's like that. I think uh, Billy Joel's film clip for Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl, where they're like mechanics or something. Mechanics. Are and they I feel do like that you've low down walking click. I probably have. Yeah. <laughs> He's obsessed. He's got a playlist all about bad boy dancers. <laughs> the other the other great one is uh, Toto's Rosanna. That's got some great bad boy dancing. Mm. I don't think I've seen the They film utilize yet. this sort of fence and they it's really aggressive but also very sexy. Uh, sexy, uh, delicate oh. and uh Moving? Moving, yep. <laughs> yeah. Above all else. Above moving. all else, moving. It's <laughs> what you want in a Toto film clip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, can I go on? <laughs> Please. Okay, I'll, um, I'll allow it. So around the time that Ned was born, you know, 1854, 55-ish, um, they were quite desperate times, so a lot of people in the community had just been brought over as convicts. So once they were admitted, um, they were kind of roamed the countryside committing more crimes. Like oh, okay. They didn't really think this system through. Like, if we bring over all these convicts, 
and then just let them loose once they've done their time, everything will be fine, right? Yeah, they just become free-range criminals. That's... Yeah, because once a criminal, that's it. You just do it once. <laughs> you, yeah. never, you never return to that. As they say, <laughs> once a criminal. criminal. <laughs> yeah. Right? So they didn't think that through. So that was a little bit dumb. Um, now, the decline of the Kelly family's respect for the law began in November of 1856 when Ned's uncle, Jimmy Quinn, was arrested on, on a charge of cattle stealing. And the case was dismissed, but it sort of left the family with a lot of resentment towards the law. So that kind of continued for all. Well, of what, Ned's, Ned's like between six and eighteen months old, depending exactly. on how. And it, Jimmy Quinn, he's a non-blood relation. Then he is would he? be no, because Ellen uncle. Quinn. He says an uncle. His mother was and Ellen her, Quinn. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, so oh, sorry, he's a blood brother. relation to Ned, but not to not Red. To red. Not to so Red. red. So Red. So from the ones who came out on the Bounty Pass. So he's not yeah. even a. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't, originally. Yeah, he didn't come from that crime background, but. It wouldn't just have been Red's influence, for example, because like we're saying, like, a lot of people in the community are convicts. There would have been yep. more convicts than bounty migrants, so most of them have a criminal background. Right. Um, so, yeah, there would be an influence from that a lot as well. Hide your pigs! <laughs> um, now, they behaved themselves for another three years, but in the early 1860s, another one of the Quinn brothers, Jack, was charged with stealing a horse. Now, the case was dropped, as was another case against him a month later, for cattle stealing. There's a lot of farm stealing going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, uh, what else have they got to steal? It's the big currency back then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll trade you my horse for, for your firstborn son. Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what else have they got to trade? Because this is a is this around Gold Rush or just pre Gold Rush? Uh, I think pre. No, this is Gold Rush time, yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah, sort of eighteen. We did talk about it in the Beckenwells one, so should all we all remember I that? I think well. it was just pre because there's more mention of that later. Um. Anyway, so the police had now been thwarted three times, and they were pretty determined. To oh, so they didn't get him even the third time. They didn't get time. him. They like they they. Um, accused of things that the cases were always dropped. So they've they've missed him three times, and now they're getting pretty determined to get a Quinn. They don't even really care who it is. They're like, we just got to get somebody from this family. Um, so they, they got one when Jimmy was arrested for illegally using a neighbor's horse. Got him! Yeah! Is that your horse, mate? I didn't think so. You're going away for a long time, son. Well... I mean, how do you illegally use a horse? Exactly. I fell on him. I fell on him. Well, that's, <laughs> not, that's not within the law, mate. I was up a tree. Suddenly fell. I was riding on, on his saddle. Does, is that a euphemism for bestiality? It sounds like it, doesn't it? Does, it really I fell does. on him. I fell on him, mate. He fell on me. He not only illegally... He fell in me. <laughs> he not only illegally used a fell on me. Pardon me. Sorry, please go on, Jess. That's so not worth it. <laughs> I'll stand by my call. Do you want to repeat it so I'm not talking over you? Fell on me. Fell on me. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Just no. as good the second time. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, though. It wasn't. Anyway. So, but is that a big crime back then? Well, that was that, and he'd also been involved in a pub brawl. So, he, for those two, he was sent to jail for six weeks. and it was. I a feel like you probably could have mentioned the five first. <laughs> Yeah, t- I thought brutal. illegally using a horse was much funnier. It's yeah. way funnier, but just in the eyes of the law. You borrowed your neighbour's horse. And that brawl, oh, that mostly brawl. the brawl though, but, uh, but, the, horse but the horse is That's a factor. It's a fact. It was going to be four weeks now, it's six, okay? Feels like they'd chuck you in jail for anything back then. Yeah, pretty I much. I mean, stealing two pigs you sent around the world. Yeah. 
to a weird jail country. Yeah. And then, yeah, that illegally using a horse. Yeah. That feels like a maybe that's don't just do it a, again kind of scenario. Maybe that's just a weird way of saying you stole it. it pro- even if you did steal it, I'm not sending anyone to jail for stealing a horse. Yeah, but I suppose this is Jess's way of painting the picture of why Ned might hate the police growing Thank up. Thank you, Dave, for getting the fucking point. Wait, I'm not arguing with what Jess is saying. I'm wondering why... Jess is saying it. <laughs> I wasn't at all. I was wondering why they... <laughs> Back then, it just feels like the police were yeah, you know, they they a little, little bit, bit power. A little bit uptight. I yeah. think you're absolutely right. A bit power something. And I think there's some more power. examples of that. What's the, what's the thing I'm trying power to say? Hungry? Power hungry? Power hungry? Power. Power had gone to the head. There's a phrase for that. Tweet in. All right. <laughs> Great. May I go on? Thanks. Um, so he was sent to jail for six weeks, and it was the first conviction against a Quinn, and the Quinns and the Kellys were hated and targeted by the police after that. Um, so during the next 25 years, the Quinns, the Kellys, and the Lloyds, because Ellen's sisters married Jack and Tom Lloyd, so that whole sort of family, they had 57 charges against them. 34 of which resulted in convictions. No good. Well, that's a little over half. It's not that many, is it? All right, 34 convictions. Not bad. No, no, no. What I'm saying is they... They got away got with... Off a lot, <laughs> yeah. or the police weren't making it up a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it would be a, a bit of both, though, to be honest, because like, it would be would be dumb to be like, nah, they, they were all good boys. Like, they were stealing shit. They were into crime from young ages. Borrowing the neighbour's horse. Yeah. But they, they might have just been profiling him, right? Oh, they were a lot, Because it yeah. wasn't, it was like, it was a super, like, uh, common thing for the Irish kids to get picked on. Yeah, because um, Catholics were um, looked down upon. Catholics weren't allowed to even, like, uh, I, I don't remember how they worded it, but, like, be in a, in a position of power or... Um, any sort of government until like the 1900s. It's so funny Irish how... Irish Catholics like, were no good. No matter what, we'll always find a group to persecute. Yeah. And it just sort of keeps changing. And then like everyone goes through it for a little while and then every, the community moves on to someone new. Pauline Hansen chooses a new group every 10 years, I think. <laughs> it's Muslims at the moment, but... <laughs> Who'll be next? But 10, 10, 15 years ago, it was Asians. And then before that... Uh, was I think it was um, uh, Minimum Chips. She was working in a... Uh, <laughs> she was working in a fish and chip shop. I, just, like I was trying to work on the fly there and I didn't have anything. I and you guys were looking it. at me like I, maybe I had something. And you let us But down. she wasn't in politics before then. I don't know. What was before that? No, she was against I mean, Minimum Chips. <laughs> fuck. That's great. <laughs> Well, I'm giving you some uh, early editing work to do. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for that. No worries. Um, In 1866, John, or Red, Kelly died. Um, Not Red. Ned was 11, and Ellen was left to raise seven children. Oh, dear. So she had Irish Catholics, big families. Now, again, there's speculation. Um, She later, I I read that she later remarried and had another five children. Um, Oh, no. But I think there was actually more. I've seen different numbers in different places, so... Um, it is a little bit confusing. I think in total he was one of about 12 kids. It's pretty big, I guess. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So that's about right, impressed yeah. by 12? My dad was one of uh, 13. My mum's one of 9 my dad's one of 8. Yeah. We're it's Irish like Catholics. It's, <laughs> so I, I figured in the olden days, yeah, my yeah, Catholics, Irish Catholics. That's too many kids. I'm it's gonna too put many. That out there. It's just too many. Well, I could not agree more. It's way too many. No. They've created many. a whole community, but they have also um, hastened global warming by quite a, <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> Good one, So Mom. you're saying in 10 years we'll be back blaming the 
Irish Catholics for yeah. global warming. But it's also great. It They're worse than coal. Big families are great. It's so much fun. You know, oh, it's great. Cousins. Oh, yeah. I've got like 40-something cousins. Yeah. There's I always somebody to something. hang out with. It's yeah, so good. It's the best. Now I feel sorry for if like if I have kids, which I don't even think I want to, but if I have kids, they're going to have like one uncle. I have one brother. That's it. They might have a cousin. Yeah, but that'll be a special uncle. Oh, that. It'll be like you know, like that. That'll be a close relationship. Yeah, that's so true. That's different. I guess. Yeah. Oh. Whereas the, the thank you. You know, your uncles and that are spread it like they're spread out. They're all over the. I state, like the my aunties and uncles when I was a kid. You know, I'd be called my brother's name all the time, but they. If you have a kid, your uncle's going to know its name. Yeah, good point. Well, you'd hope so, you but hope so. I also know just... my brother and he probably would not. So. He'll know it, not just because you've named it after Pauline Hanson. Pauline! <laughs> Pauline! Get in here! You're going to name it after Pauline Yeah, Hansen? I love Pauline Hanson. What a name, Pauline. Pauline. But the middle name will be Hanson. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Bloody hell. <laughs> Pauline Hanson Perkins. It's got a kind of ring to it. Pauline Perkins. That's Pauline awesome. Perkins. It's a bit much. Double P. Just enough, if P-P. you ask me. <laughs> um, now, Ned's uh, first documented brush with the law was on the 15th of October, 1869, at the age of 14, Ooh. when he was charged with the assault and robbery of, this is the best name in the world, R. Fook. Ah, Fook. How do you spell Fook? F-O-O-K. That's a cool name. Ah, Fook. He was a pig and fowl trader. He was a pig. He was a pig and fowl trader from a Chinese camp near Bright. Now, according right. to Fook, he was passing Kelly's house. Uh, Kelly approached him with a long bamboo stick, announcing that he was a bushranger and would kill him if he did not hand over his money. Then Ned allegedly took him into the bush, beat him with the stick, and stole 10 shillings. According to Ned and his sister Annie and two other witnesses, um, Annie was sitting outside the house sewing when Fook walked up and asked for a drink of water. And when he was given creek water... He abused Annie for not giving him rainwater, and then Ned came outside and pushed him, like, back off from my sister. Um, and then Fook then hit Kelly three times with a bamboo stick, causing him to run away. So th- uh, there's all these um, historians find neither account all that convincing and believe that Ned's account is likely to be true um, up until the point where he was being hit by Fook, but then Ned probably took the stick and beat him with it anyway. <laughs> so... Like, there's just these two stories, but, like, who do you reckon, knowing the history here, who do we reckon the police are going to side with? Oh, probably uh, R. Fook, just because uh, of the name. Fook. They uh, started, Fook. sided with Fook? Yeah. So the Chinese were, were seen as being more respectable than the bloody dirty Irish Catholics. Yeah, well, I, I suppose just anybody who had anything against the Ke- the Kellys, they would have been like, yeah, yeah fine, absolutely. Yeah, great. I mean, I don't know anything about Fook, but he, he was, was he a respected sort of guy? I'm not really sure. Is that why he was kind of coming in and, and bullying up on him? I'm pretty sure with these, um, with this particular case, it got dropped again because they they couldn't get an interpreter. Oh, my God. They couldn't, they couldn't... Well, maybe that was why there, there wasn't was enough a, evidence. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. About of, the water. So probably. Fook, Fook didn't speak English? Well, not very well. Right. So that's probably where the first yeah, who knows? miscommunication came Who knows came what out. actually happened? Simple misunderstanding. But that's what Ned got in trouble for. See, the thing that I find most troubling is that Fook can't speak English, yet he's told people that he said, Hello, I'm a bushranger. Give me all your money. Good point. Ooh, Bush good point. Bushranger's a pretty... Uh, Specific word for a non English speaker to pick up. Mm, yeah, it feels like the cops are filling in some blanks for him yeah, somehow. Yeah. So there were um 
There were police sergeants that sort of had their eye on, on the family. There was Sergeant Wellen in particular who really disliked Ned, but especially like the whole Kelly family. And after an, an earlier um, case with somebody completely different, didn't even have anything to do with Ned, um, he said he was he kept a watchful eye on the Kelly family and, according to fellow officers, became a perfect encyclopedia of knowledge about them through his diligence. Like he would just keep his watch on the family. Well, he doesn't really come up that much later, but anyway. What an I just thought that was really interesting. That it, so that they, he becomes they're targeted. An encyclopedia on them. I know everything about them. Yeah, what I, do you want to know? I know Ned's favourite colour, green. Next question. Next question, please. <laughs> um, what is Ned's? Uh, what does what does he do uh, Friday mornings? Friday mornings, he gets up at seven a.m., tends to the horses, goes and steals some more, probably. Yeah, looks at the colour green because he loves it. <laughs> Classic Ned. Classic Ned. <laughs> Favourite meal? Peas. They're green. Next one. Favourite hobby? Stealing. Stealing. Just being a, 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 just a general bad bloke. <laughs> Rubbish human. Into the bin. All right. <laughs> the green bin, please. <laughs> That's where the green waste goes. Yeah. yeah Ned's favourite. They had that back then. Ned's favourite. He's a big composter, Ned. Gotta love his beard, though. Look at that beard. I'm jealous. Um, just after Ned's 15th birthday, he survived another court case for a lack of evidence. There was always a lack of evidence, which is quite convenient. This time he'd been charged with robbery under arms as an accomplice of the notorious but polite bushranger, Harry Power. I like that oh, he was written down man. as notorious. He was notorious, like everybody knew Harry Power, but he was nice. He was uh, right. gen- the gentleman ranger. The gentleman bushranger, the Harry d- Power. But the D.B. Cooper of the 1870s. Yeah. It sounds like, from what you're saying, that even though the police sound a bit... Um, dodgy that mm. the at least the judges are still saying they. I mean, they're still going. There's not enough evidence. No they're evidence, not just going. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes I it agree. sound much more reliable, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. If they were super dodgy, they'd be like, "Yeah, we, well, we don't believe you." Yeah, whatever. Because well, it's we'll not just cops. up to the local cops. Like the local cops had it in for the Kellys big time, but then you take it to court, and more often than not, they had to come down to Melbourne. Yeah. And yeah, well, people didn't have the same sort of bias against them. Yeah, it's great. And there was there was very rarely enough. Makes the, I mean, it's still super annoying to have to go to court all the time. But at least they're not getting done for potentially for things they didn't do. Mm. One of the cases um, to do with Harry Power, this polite bushranger, uh, they they argued that Ned didn't match the description because uh, witnesses described his accomplice as half caste. But then the police were kind of like, yeah, but he's just unwashed. So he matches so, the description still. So for overseas people, half-caste is what an offensive term for a half-Aboriginal yeah. person. Yeah. And so then they just say, well, he's unwashed. It's like, oh, oh. not good. Oh no good. That's not coming from me, guys. I'm quoting history here. Well, history's fucked. Don't shoot the messenger. History really is fucked. History's Australian fucked. History Ours is not good. Really and we're gross. a young country, so it's not, it's not that long ago. No. Nah. It's great-great-grandparent sort of stuff. Yeah. Ugh. Their blood runs through us. No good. Not through me, but you go. Well, why not you? My, I don't think my family got here quite then. Oh yeah, no, we came later. Look, and... I'm trying to, I'm trying to distance myself from it. And where did you come from? Uh, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Italy, Switzerland. So he's got England. a whole mix. Italy yeah. wouldn't pick you to have any Italian in you. Yeah, my nana Bellissimo. was a Mascherini. Up and she she grew up up in near Bright, where you just mentioned. Oh before. really? Yeah. That's interesting. Where are you from? Uh, well, my... Oh, wait. Warnicky, German. Grandfather's grandfather's German. Came out in about 1900. 
before the Nazis. Thank you very much. <laughs> we were all thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> and my mum's dad, so my granddad was born in Scotland and came out when he was about seven in the 1930s. Oh, wow. Okay. Both my sides of the family are Irish and came out of just, they bloody chose to, okay? I'm majority Irish, admittedly, yeah. but I've got little bits and pieces of uh, other stuff. It's a bit cool. Um, so back to this polite bushranger. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, so what's his name? Harry, Harry Power. Love it. Harry Power. Power's one of the best surnames. So good, right? Yeah. Um, so a couple of years after that uh, that incident for Ned, um, Power was captured in 1870 while he was asleep one night and was sentenced to 15 years jail for various crimes. And he was convinced that Ned had informed the police. Uh, he oh, was like, he he was the dibber-dobber. But the real informer was actually Ned's uncle, Jack Lloyd. Low dog Lloyd, they those called Lloyds. him. Yeah, those Lloyds, they're the least trustworthy of the three for me. I could not agree more. The three families. Could not agree the more. The Kellys, the Quins, the Lloyds. Mm. So that same year, 17-year-old Ned, was, uh, he served six months for assault and indecent behaviour. Um, and upon his release, he returned home. Um, and there he met Isaiah... Wright, who's, who went by Wild, so Wild Wright. Oh, that is good. Great name. Um, Australia's had... best bad boy contender. Yeah, Wild yeah. Wright. Yeah, I reckon. Wild Wright. Wild Wright. It's pretty good. So he was staying with the Kellys, um, and uh, the horse that he had arrived on had gone missing, so he borrowed one of the Kellys' horses to return to Mansfield, and he asked Kelly to look for the horse and said he could keep it until Wild came back. So he's like, if you see my horse, just grab it for me and I'll be back. Right? So um, <laughs> it's a bit weird. But Ned found the mare and used it to go to Wangaratta where he stayed for a couple of days. Um, and then as he was heading home, he gets approached by Police Constable Hall, who, from the description of the animal, knew the horse was stolen property. Ugh. So when he attempted to arrest Ned, it turned into a fight. And the the police officer drew his gun and tried to shoot him, but Kelly overpowered him and humiliated him by riding him like a horse. <laughs> Sorry, that's really awful. <laughs> and driving his spurs into the back of his legs. Oh, bloody hell. That's not smart. Right, so, like... But very funny. Very funny. Oh, my God. I, didn't know, I thought you were going to say that he shot him. No. He just or humiliated, humiliated him by pulling his pants down. He rode him like a horse. Um... <laughs> And then Ned always maintained that he had no idea that the, the horse was actually had actually been stolen. It oh, so, st- oh, so, the so the other guy stole the horse. Wild Wright had stolen it. Right. Yeah. Right. So it belonged to a Mansfield postmaster and that Wright, had, he had stolen it. So um, after just three weeks of freedom, Ned, along with uh, a couple of others, was sentenced to three years imprisonment for, with hard labour for feloniously receiving a horse. <laughs> Again, and that sounds like bestiality. Yeah. You oh see my God. Horse totally does. In your butt. Feloniously. Yeah. Feloniously. In his felonious tube. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Where, whereabouts is that tube? You, you know, Matt. Stop is it? it? No, there you go. No, there's no such thing as a felonious tube. <laughs> <laughs> Did you seriously? Th- Are you thinking of fallopian? <laughs> That's what I was punning on. It was a vague pun. Yeah. This is a felonious tube. Well, don't, Dave, <laughs> you keep calling this a fact-based podcast. So is, where is the felonious tube? Non-existent. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see how see. this pun game works. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I choose to believe that it's in your butt. All right. So, 
Ned went to prison for that as well. Poor Ned. So then Ned was released from Pentridge Prison in February of 1874. Oh, we went to Pentridge. It was Pentridge. Cool. That's like apartments now. Yeah, I have a friend who his his house looks out over what is remaining of Pentridge. Wow. That was worth adding. Um, so what year did he get released? 1874. So to settle the score for the stolen horses, this is so good, and the three-year sentence for it, on the 8th of August in, in 1874 at Beechworth, Ned, who was 19, fought and won a bare-knuckled boxing match against Wright. So they had a fight. Oh, against the other bush ranger. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, against the guy who'd actually stolen the horse. Yeah. So as to settle the score, they had a bare buckle, a bare buckle, <laughs> bare knuckled boxing match on the it, beach. It lasted at Beechworth. Oh, damn! That <laughs> would have been hilarious. It would have been so romantic. You're on the beach. <laughs> There's a brewery in Beechworth that's uh, label is the Ned Kelly mask, oh, so that makes sense. There you go. And he and he won. It, won. Celebrating it the lasted twenty fight. rounds. Holy crap! Oh, like it was there was a was like a, a ding ding and it everything. Was a big fight, and he was declared the unofficial boxing champion of the district. <laughs> How good is that? He must have been a great fighter if he's beaten people up when he's fifteen and then sixteen. Well, he like when he was a fully grown adult, he was just over six foot. But apparently, at like. 14 or 15, he was already 5'8", like he was quite tall, and around the time of that R. Fook incident, (laughs) they, like, because R. Fook had said, oh, it was like a a 20-year-old man, and so that was sort of part of the argument, like, well, Ned's 14, Um, but he just, he was already such an imposing figure, he was like this big broad. It's funny to think, in my head I just pictured two, that being two adults, but it's it's basically some kids quarrelling. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, uh, one one uh, kid one and adult. one young man. Yeah, I know. So that was a bit strange. Do you reckon the boxing would have been like this? Oh, yeah, with a fist Definitely. curled back towards your face. Yeah. That old school style. Thanks for doing a uh, a physical gag on a hey. podcast. I reckon that... <laughs> Is that a gag? <laughs> Can I take a photo of you doing it and yeah. then I'll tweet it? Right, no we'll doubt do about that. I think... Well, don't do it right now because our, listen, no, our followers right will have no idea what the tweet means. No, I'm not going to tweet it now. I'm just taking the photo now. <laughs> They're going to put it out there right now. Hey, guys, uh, on the latest sizzle. Ned Kelly episode, people... Oh, what? Where's the link? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> no, I'll tweet that at the time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI 
Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. (laughs) And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um... Okay, so then after that, after their uh, after their fight, Wright became one of uh, Ned's most ardent supporters. <laughs> oh, they were what? good. He, he kicked the shit out of me, and what a guy! Yeah, He's I a love good, that. Like, I love like, that. You know, you, you've won my you've won my favor today, sir. Yeah. And so then they were buddies. You, you beat my res- you beat respect into me. Isn't that good? Do you think I still, I, they still make men like that? Because if someone kicked the shit out of me, I would not respect them. They I still would just make be men terrified. Like but you know, like in old days, it'd be like. Fighting against the enemy. No. I will not hear a bad word about uh, those Turkish men. They are very brave. You know how they respect yeah. each other and that kind of... I'd be like, no, that guy bloody shot at me. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's the worst. No. Yeah, good point. But no, this is a different time, Dave. Yeah, I think my time. This is pre-Facebook. Mum's grandpa who fought at Gallipoli was not a, not a bad bloke, Johnny Turk. That's what he'd say. Not a bad bloke referring to the wow. people they're fighting against. That's brilliant, yeah. though. Yeah, had a lot of respect for each other. I suppose we do not understand. No, exactly. I would probably, hopefully, would never find myself in that situation. God, you would never make it. Oh my god! They would never send you. Oh, They'd be I like, don't know. They we could use to... him as a cannonball. <laughs> I was. If I'd picture Dave in in wartime, like as a old nurse. Work, well, <laughs> no, like as like a telegram boy or something. Yeah, the ones they use the teenage boys for. Are yeah. you a fast runner? <sighs> fast enough to. Run a telegram if it means not fighting on a beach. Yeah, I'll do whatever it You'll takes. be running through the shrapnel. Yeah, it's no good. Oh, you mean telegramming on the beach? Yeah. It's oh, still not a good it... job. No. No. Where do you think you're running the telegrams from? They would they'd run through at, the trenches. Back at the headquarters. Yeah, the from, the, from the Prime Minister to the Prime Minister's assistant. <laughs> 20 metres. <laughs> hey, John. Uh, Churchill's got another thing he wants. Two coffees. Go get him, mate. All right, I'll tell him you'll be back in five. <laughs> That's my job. You're working, so you're working for England as well. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. That's your instinct. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm working for. I'm not going to work for bloody Australia. Who was the Australian? You'd know I'm just that one. Take that out of Who context. was the Australian Prime Minister in World War Two? We're not talking about World War Two. No, good point. I don't know. We're talking about Ned Kelly. That's true. Oh, sorry. Let, we, let's keep talking about Ned Kelly. So yeah, I'm, there's an idea. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> not even up to the good shit yet. Now, while Ned was in prison, his brothers, Jim, who was 12, and Dan, who was 10, were arrested by Constable Flood for riding a horse that did not belong to them. Now, the horse had been lent to them by a farmer uh, for, they'd been doing some work for, but the boys spent a night in the cells before the matter was cleared. So even at 10 and 12, they were... Crazy. They were targeted by the police. You're just setting them up to be... like. When I did criminology at uni, they one of the few things I remember is they'd talk about uh, labelling theory. Mm. So if uh, the idea is that if people are seen to be a certain kind of criminal or, or bad people, even if they're not, they just end up being... They end, yeah. like, end up just end doing up crimes. doing so that like, anyway. But this is, yeah. Mm. If, if we're going to think we are anyway, then fucking... That's I'll what sh- they're going to become anyway. I'll show you. I'll show you a crime. Yeah, well... 
if you're persecuted from the age of 10, yeah. you're probably going to hate the cops. Probably. Hopefully I'm not misremembering that. I'm no, sure it's... there's some criminologists out there going, shut the fuck up, you piece of you shit. You did one elective, you dickhead. <laughs> I just I'm like to... actually majored in it, but still. <laughs> oh, wow. And you still aren't sure. It was a little while ago. The real trouble for the Kellys started in 1878 when a probationary constable, Alexander Fitzpatrick, was dispatched from Benalla to take charge at the Greta police station for a week. Right? And on his way, he stops at the pub and then decides to go and see the Kellys. Uh, so he's ignoring uh, the standing orders that policemen must never go near the Kelly household alone. So he goes alone. Has he had a few pints? He's had a few pints. <laughs> and, and he... I guess sort out these Kelly boys. He had said that he would... Ex- exactly that. He had said he would fix the Kellys. Fix them. Fix them. He's going to fix them. And so he went to the homestead to arrest Dan Kelly on horse-stealing charges. Now, his account of the evening was that Ned and two of his neighbours were all armed and they'd attacked him and Dan had stolen his revolver. And he said Ned shot at him twice from close range and missed. Then Mrs. Kelly whacked him on the head with a shovel. Wow, they're all getting into it. They're all getting in. The whole family's involved. Yeah. And then Ned fired a third shot, which hit him in the wrist, but amazingly broke no bones. Oh. Right. But then Ned later hotly denied all of this. Firstly, he said he hadn't been anywhere near the family home. He actually admitted that he'd been off stealing horses elsewhere. (laughs) 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 And secondly, he said an unerring shot such as himself would not have missed Fitzpatrick from a few yards. Come on, Fitzpatrick. I love both of those. That's a great piece of evidence. Firstly, no, I was stealing horses. And secondly, I'm a very good shot. Yeah, if I wanted him dead, he'd be fucking dead. If I'm a few yards away, you'd be dead. So, um, and you know what's funny? Like, Fitzpatrick was later dismissed from the police as a liar and a larrikin, but the story about his encounters with the Kellys still stuck. Like, people still sort of... It, it stuck on them, but people knew that Fitzpatrick was full of shit. It's so weird. Now, after the incident with Fitzpatrick, Dan Kelly was advised um, to just go into hiding. So he took to the Wombat Rangers south of Greta, and later two of his friends, Steve Hart and Joe Byrne, joined him. And their other friend, friend Aaron Sherritt, acted as a courier between the township and their oh, hideout. Oh, that could have been my job. Yeah, you could have been that. Well, well I don't think you want to be Aaron Sherritt, and you'll find out why. Oh, so these, no. are all, these are all names to remember. I'll jot them down. So Steve Hart. Steve Hart. With the heart of a Steve. Joe Byrne. And it's B-Y-R-N-E. Oh. You can probably remember Dan Kelly. Um, and Aaron Sherritt. And Aaron Sherritt is me. You are Aaron Sherry. At least a couple of them are in the gang, I reckon. Bang. There Matt, it is, want, baby. Do you want to pick a character here? I've got Aaron Sherritt. Do you want to be Steve Hart or Joe Byrne? Uh, I like uh, Joe Byrne. I think he's in... Yeah, I'll be Joe Byrne. Joe Byrne in the uh, 2003 film, played by Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom, oh, yeah. Bloody well. Oh, my God. So I dreamy. feel like I could... Yeah, I could fill those shoes. I feel like I'm Ned. You are Ned. For being honest. Why, why isn't Dan Kelly up for grabs? Oh, it is, but there's only three uh, well, of us. Well, you, you, dear listener will be Dan Kelly. Okay, great. Good choice. So we've all got characters. Joe Byrne, Matt, me, Aaron Sherritt, Mm -hmm. Dan Kelly, the listener. Who played Dan Kelly in the uh, Bloom? Uh, They... they, Actually, Dan and uh, and Steve were two uh, Australian actors, I believe. Lovely. Fantastic. Don't know their names, but they were great. great. All right, great. Anyway, so they've uh, they've gone into hiding up up in the mountains. At the same time, Ellen Kelly, Ned's mother 
was sentenced to three years jail for aiding the attempted murder of Constable Oh, for Fitzpatrick. the shovel shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, three years. Three years. And when Ned heard of the news of his mother's arrest, he swore revenge. <laughs> and this is how the Kelly gang began. Oh, my God. So now Ned's 23, Dan's only 17. Steve is 18 and Joe's 21. They've taken to the mountains because the Kelly boys were both being sought after and they had a £100 reward being offered for the capture of either of them. And at Benella Police Headquarters, two armed mounted patrols of four men each were sent out to find them, disguised as prospectors. (laughs) They set out on October 25th in 1878. Oh, I'm just looking for some gold. Bang, you're dead. (laughs) And you know what I like? I always go to say 1978. I just assume that we're talking about... This is... I did the same thing in the Burke and Wills episode. It's really over hard. And over and over. Really hard. Anyway, so one party was made up of Sergeant Michael Kennedy, Constables Thomas McIntyre, Thomas Lonigan, and Michael Scanlon. Not a lot of names back then. We've got two Michaels, two Thomases in the same group. There's lots of Jacks, there's lots of Jims. Do try to keep up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Michael, Michael, Thomas, Thomas. Thomas, and... Thomas. So they head off um, from Mansfield and they pitched camp that day at Stringy Bark Creek. Ring a bell? Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh-oh. It was only 18 miles from Mansfield. So they, they travel about 18 miles. They set up camp. The next morning, Scanlon and Kennedy, the two Michaels, went off, to fire, uh, went off on their horses to just scout the area, see if they could find the Kelly boys. So they were looking for the gang. Um, now, the Kelly gang, who'd spotted the camp, struck while only two of them were there. Ned and Dan were armed with two shotguns, but Joe and Steve were unarmed. When Ned yelled out, Bail up! Put your hands up! McIntyre did so, but Lonigan leapt, leapt behind a log and drew his revolver. And as he raised his head to take aim, Ned fired, and Lonigan was killed immediately. Oh, shot him in the head. Shot him. The gang then waited for several hours for the return of Kennedy and Scanlon. And at dusk... As what about the, th- the fourth guy? The fourth guy, they were sort of just holding hostage. Okay, right, yep. He was just there. Cool, cool. Um, they, were, they were getting him to cooperate. Um, Not surprising. You've just seen your mates get his head blown off. You're probably going to do what they say. Probably, yeah. You'd probably behave yourself. So they waited until dusk, which is when they, they returned to the camp. And McIntyre, who's the police officer who's left behind, he was sitting on a log and Ned's hiding just behind the log. And commanded by Ned, McIntyre called out, you'd better dismount and surrender. We're surrounded. Now, thinking he was joking, Kennedy reached for his revolver. <laughs> And at this point... What a time! It's so good. Uh, you know, he's just having a muck around. We'll get the gun out. Yeah, we're not out hunting people who are probably out to get us as well, so he's probably kidding. Now, um, Ned jumps up from behind the log and again yells at him to put his hands up. And Kennedy, this is pretty cool, he leaps from his saddle, uses his horse as a shield. I'm not saying that bit is cool. <laughs> How cool is How that? How cool is that? He's just using his horse as a shield. Um, he, ran, he runs for cover behind some trees. Then Scanlon panics, reaches for his rifle, and Ned shot him in the chest. He was just killed immediately as well. Uh, He's a good shot. He's a very good shot. Yeah, and that's why he didn't shoot that other officer in the wrist. Exactly. Now, McIntyre, so the the police officer who had been left behind, he grabs the reins of Kennedy's horse, jumps on, and the horse just bolts into the bushes while they're shooting at him. So he, he gets away. Well, that's pretty daring, isn't it? Jumping pretty on a daring. horse and a hail of well, bullets. Well, is it daring or is it cowardly? Because he was kind of abused later for being a coward. Because he ran, but he was unarmed, so some because people it, sort of defend Because they had four Wait. people with shotguns around him. Oh, probably what did they him. want him to do? Stay and fight. It, well, he was out there Fist to get fight. them. He was out there to get them, and then he just run, <laughs> runs Trying away. to punch the bullets yeah. away. Well, I'm not, I'm not yeah. on that side. I'm Go 20 saying. rounds with a shotgun, all right. <laughs> um... 
So he's taken off. Now the gang pursues Sergeant Kennedy. Now he exchanged shots with the group, was eventually shot and hit below the armpit, and he fell critically wounded. And now Ned could see that the sergeant wouldn't survive the night, so he shot him in the heart, then returned to the camp, got Kennedy's overcoat and placed it over the body as a mark of respect for, this is a quote from Ned, the bravest man I've ever met. Oh, wow. Sweet praise. Sweet praise. Whoa. Meanwhile, McIntyre had been thrown from his horse when it hit a log and fell. And when he came to, he decided to hide in case the gang came after him. So he took the bridle and the saddle off the horse, sent it, sent, like, gave it a whack, sent it on its way. So it was like a wild horse. Yeah, exactly. And then he, uh, he hid for a bit, and then he started to walk through the pitch-dark bush back to Mansfield. And then he told his story of the attack and a search party was sent out to recover the bodies of the murdered officers. But like I was saying before, he was like abused for, for running, for, for fleeing the scene. How dare you survive? But others argued that because he was unarmed, he didn't really have a choice. So, you know, still what a pussy. (laughs) I'm on his side. It is funny that, yeah, that was how men were seen back then. They had to be, I mean, you'd, you can die and be, you know, okay. Like, that's base level is you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you're a hero. But if you survive something, then you are an absolute coward. Yeah. You piece of shit. It's very strange. It was a strange time. Um, so the, the Kelly gang, they weren't done. They were declared outlaws after raids on the National Bank at Euroa and Faithful Creek Station in December of 1878. So now they're proper bank robbers. They're proper bank robbers. Months prior to arriving in Gerildery, which is where they um, did another uh, bank heist, Ned Kelly dictated to Joe Byrne a lengthy letter for publication giving his take on his activities. So... Uh, the treatment of his family, and more generally the treatment of Irish Catholic colonials by the police. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Now, it's now known as the Gerildery Letter. Um, it's a handwritten document of 56 pages. Whoa! 7,391 words. It's like, the, it's like the world's first think piece. Yeah, god damn, it's like a TED Talk. Um, <laughs> 8,000 words nearly, wow. According to historian Alex McDermott, uh, Kelly inserts himself into history on his own terms with his own voice, which I kind of like. I like that. Um, and he's, he says his language is hyperbolic, elusive, full of striking metaphors and images. At one point, he describes the Victorian police as a parcel, this is so good, a parcel of big, ugly, fat-necked, wombat-headed, big-bellied, magpie-legged, narrow-hipped, splay-footed sons of Irish bailiffs or English landlords. I'd love to see an artist's impression of that. <laughs> draw There's a lot going on There's there. There's a lot oh, happening. The magpie feet. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they, uh, they quote that in the film as well. I recognise that. Um, and the letter closes. This is, this is pretty good. The letter closes. Neglect this and abide by the consequences, which shall be worse than the rust in the wheat of Victoria or the druth of a dry season to the grasshoppers in New South Wales. I do not wish to give the order full force without giving timely warning. But I am a widow's son outlawed, and my orders must be obeyed. Ooh. Laying it down. That is bad boy language. That's, that is. That is bad boy. That's first bad boy. That's real sexy. Interestingly, in January of 1879, police under the command of Captain Standish, Superintendent Hare, and Officer Sadlier. Hare, who Hare. was played by Jeffrey Rush in the film. Oh, you're right. Very good. He was Hare, yep. 
Um, they arrested all known Kelly friends and sympathisers, a total of 23 people, um, including Wild Wright, who we spoke about before, and held them without charge in Beechworth Jail for over three months. Whoa. No charge, just held them in jail. And what's really interesting is that um, public opinion was turning against the police on this matter because they were like, well, they, those people didn't do anything. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. And and what's interesting is that because the public opinion was was not so good, they did let them out a few months later, um, but none were given money or transported back to the hometown. So all had to just find their way back. Some of them up to like 50 miles on their own. Just like, just go home. Whatever. You're done. They gave them a whack and uh, just sent them into yeah. the bush. Took off their saddles. Took off their saddle and bridle. Gave them a whack. <laughs> a whack. Off, off you go. Off they go. That's a very good callback. Somebody was paying attention. Thank you. Hmm, not bad. Now, uh, Dave, you might not like this bit. Oh, no. Is it Aaron Cherrett? Yeah. So A on, little messenger boy? On uh, 25th of June, 1880, Dan Kelly and Joe Byrne rode into the valley where Aaron Sherritt had a small farm. Now, there's a... Um, J.J. Keneally, he, write, he wrote that um, Sherritt was close to Byrne and they'd gone to school together. And this is what he said about him. He says, Sherritt fed the police with constant supply of news of the outlaw's plans. He was a snitch. Oh, no. He was a snitch. Sherritt, you dog. Sherritt felt himself in very much the same position as some newspaper men. He felt that he had to supply facts if available, but if facts were not available, then fiction. He just made it up. He made it up. He threw his mates under the bus for Wait. some nice sweet coin. And that's what he thought the newspaper men... That's 100% what they were doing. <laughs> right, fiction. I did, uh, I did journalism, I can confirm. If you don't have facts, <laughs> really? make they, it they, up. They teach you that. Oh, day one. Really? Yeah, they do that and, the, um, and like your newsreader voice in the first term. Do you know who, uh, who played Sherritt in the film? Yes. Do you want to share? <laughs> do you want to share it with us? <laughs> I know his name and I can't think of it, but don't. Joel Edgerton. It is Joel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Joel Edgerton. He's very good. Oh, so she, and, but he's an absolute lying. Low dog. Low dog. Low dog. So, yeah, he's a, he's a police informant. And there are actually four police officers. They were stationed at his house, armed to the teeth for his protection. So there were cops at his house. Now, despite being aware of this, despite knowing there were police, the Kelly gang decided to assassinate him. Oh. Yeah, good call. Yeah. You had to make decisive... Uh... Take decisive action there and... Yep. It's no good. Kill the motherfucker. Okay. Now, while they were observing the home, they noticed Sherritt come to the door and talk to Anton Weeks, a German-Australian farmer who lived nearby. So Dan and Joe kidnapped him, kidnapped Anton Weeks, reassuring him that, that, that he'd not be hurt if he just obeyed. So they pushed him to the Sherritt's back door and Joe knocks on the door and stood back. And they could hear movement, and Sherritt's like, oh, who's there? And so Weeks replies, oh, it's me. I've lost my way. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I've lost my way, but you're at that house, you know where way. it is. Yeah. Now Sherritt's wife He's opens the door. thinking on his feet, so. By the way, his wife's 15. Creepy. Oh. oh. Yeah. No. No That's good. not good. Oh, this Sherritt character wasn't already a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. he sounds like a real... Right, a 15-year-old. And so he's sort of standing in the doorway as well with his wife, and he's having a bit of a joke with his German mate, like, mate, you must be bloody drunk. 
Oh, you bloody found yourself back here, man. Having a, having a good bloody laugh. Now, while he's just having a bit of a laugh, Joe shot him in the chest at point-blank range. Oh, that's you, Matt. That's you. And that's your friend. That's your friend. Well, no friend of mine's going around with fact and or fiction. Mm, talking about me. So he's having a good old laugh. He gets shot in the chest. At point-blank range. Yeah, but then he falls backwards. Joe so follows him into the house, shoots him again. Yeah, that's what I would do. Brutal. Bang. And do you know what's kind of interesting as well is that his mother-in-law, Ellen Barry, testified to the commission that at this point she knelt down by her son-in-law's head and Joe called her by her name because they were well acquainted. Ellen Barry had been a particular friend of Joe's mum as well. Yeah. Um, and threatened to shoot her and her daughter if they do- didn't reveal who was in the bedroom. They could hear people in the bedrooms like, who's in there? They said it was just somebody staying with them. <gasps> so she said, oh, it's just somebody staying with us. But then the, there's a, a note that she said, Joe, I've never heard Aaron say anything against you. And he replied, he would do me harm if he could. Oh. He did his best. Which I kind of take to like he did his best to harm. Oh. By like, by lying and uh, feeding the information to the police. Mm. Who knows? Anyway, so that's no good. But Aaron's dead. Aaron, he did. And then the, there were police in the in the house. Uh, Is that who was hiding in the front bedroom? Yeah, there were the four police officers. There were and police... they just heard the gu- two gunshots and went, oh, that'd be right. Well, that's, that's where it gets kind of interesting because they were like, oh, we're, we're just getting out. We'll just get our weapons. It's very strange. The gang kept the police trapped in the house for 12 hours, threatening to burn the house down to roast them alive. But they left without doing so. They just left them there. And the four constables emerged from the house uh, at 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. And Ellen Barry and Sherritt's widow later testified that the constables had an easy shot at Joe when he murdered Sherritt and they had their firearms ready. And they didn't shoot him. So even the police were like, mm. And then Superintendent Hare later wrote, It was doubtless a most fortunate occurrence that Aaron was shot by the outlaws. It was impossible to have reclaimed him, and the government of the colony would not have assisted him in any way, and he would have gone back to his old course of life and probably become a bushranger himself. So you pretty Mm. much said good riddance. Yeah. Because he probably would have been bad again. Like, even the cops hated him. Oh, wow. Everyone hates you, Dave. That's what we're trying to say. you're a real piece of work. What a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. So, I mean, they, they did a lot of things, but we'll sort of get to get to the main event, right? So after a few more bank robberies, they're just like, oh, let's just do a couple more. Um, the Kelly Gang had their last stand in the more, small town of... Glen Rowan. Very good. In 1880. So they, they, their last stand was in Glen Rowan. They took 60 hostages in a hotel. Um, and the gang established a base at the Glen Rowan Hotel, determined to fight it out with police so, when they came. So it's 60 hostages. Yeah, but apparently they were like playing card games. Ned told the band to play. They had drinks. Like they were having a great time. They, did they, they, ha- they were day drinking. Were they under... Did they know they were being held hostage? Like was it a classic yes. D.B. Cooper where they're all like, yeah, we're having a great time. And then when you go to leave, they're like, no, no. No, no, no. no. They, they knew they couldn't leave. They knew they were hostages, but they were apparently like even uh, survivors said they were treated quite well. And the, the public was sort of on board with them, right? In a way, yeah, because they didn't like... They, they were against the police as well. Yeah, so they, so, were, they were cool. And especially because they were treated quite well, so it was fine. It's still strange. Because the reason they'd sort of stopped there was two special trains had been dispatched from Melbourne carrying police reinforcements and reporters following the killing of Sherritt. 
So Ned's Ned's main mistake here was that there was a guy. Now some some reports say he was like a primary school teacher. Others say he was like a postmaster. Ned came across him, but let him go home, and, and said like, "Don't leave your house." And they're like, "No, no, we won't. We won't do anything. We won't tell anybody what you're gonna do." We'll stay in our house. But as the train started to arrive, it was about 3 a.m., Kerno, his name was, grabbed his sister's red scarf and candles and matches and rushed to the railway line. He managed to, like, flag down the the train to let them know. Because, oh, that's right, because I kind of forgot to mention that the train was coming in, but um, their plan was to derail the trains. Did I say that? No. no I didn't the trains are coming in. They had they had messed with the railway tracks. Oh, so he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" whoa problem yeah. overhead. Exactly. So he stopped the train and so saved everybody on board. Ned Kelly trusted this fuckhead. Yep. That's the only reason they got done in. Uh, well, probably would have been you know a couple of weeks later. But, but also, still. oh, true. Yeah, you're he right. Stopped a train being derailed would have killed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but not not a lot of people. A lot of pigs. Oh, dirty fucking and reporters and reporters Ugh. also scum, scum, swine, cops and reporters. Mate, it would, it would have done humanity a great service you if know, you let that. You know happen. what else would have made me happy? If a different group of people were on that train. <laughs> Are we talking about tax accounts? We're talking about tax accounts. <laughs> oh, Fuck them. I bet they were on there too. I bet they were the ones who probably, probably did the cowardly. Uh, was that coward before? He would have been a tax Oh, accountant. he was 100% accountant. Mm. Okay? Even though we know he was a cop, he was probably also an accountant on the side. Yeah, I bet he did the Moonlighting as an accountant. Yeah, that piece of bloody work. He was probably an accountant and then changed career paths later in life. To become a dirty pig. What a dickhead. I've got to stop saying that. I've got a lot of respect for police. <laughs> oh, I don't. I'd like to go on record and say that I respect journalists, uh, police officers, and... Oh, yeah, I respect all those people, but not back then. That train load... It's a different time, Dave. That was a different time. That was scum back then. Irish-hating scum. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> I mean, that's classic German Dave Nazi Warnicky, always backing the scum. <laughs> That came out before World War Two, <laughs> even before the First World War. Anyway, so he's flagged down the train. He's told them, be careful. He told the guards that the torn tracks were up ahead and that the Kelly gang was laying in wait at the hotel. So, led by Superintendent Hare, Jeffrey Rush, the troopers attacked the gang in the hotel. So superintendent and other police officers were wounded when the gang shot at the police. So they they basically surrounded the hotel and they're shooting at them. And, and Ned and all the boys are inside. Now the townsfolk were allowed to leave the hotel when there was a lull in fighting. <laughs> what out the back door? Just go out the back. Yes. Mm-hmm. They literally let them out. It's a bit of a lull. Oh, oh hang on, hang on, hang on. It seems like, yeah, okay, Everyone, off you go. Oh, this fight is going off. We're oh, just going to have to play it by ear if that's okay. Just when there's a lull, you can yeah, pop out. It gets a bit boring. It's called okay. time out. But Ned was shot in the arm and thumb, and he sort of retreated to the bush, so he got out of the actual hotel itself, and kind of, it's almost like he went out and around a little bit because there was so much smoke and, and like, um, gunfire. <laughs> He could sort of sneak out. So he's kind of gone out the side and almost around behind where the police are. So he's now behind them. And he tapped them on the shoulder. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. And I'm gone. <laughs> um, so, and he literally, he, that was his plan. His plan was to attack the police from behind. So they weren't expecting him there. Oh, I'm still barracking for him. Even though I know they're bad people. I just 
and I know that it doesn't end well. I'm still, uh, I'm still barracking. Yeah, no, that's the thing. You kind of back them, and it's interesting because they knew that there was a thing called the Felons Apprehension Act, which meant they could be shot because there were warrants out against them. They were bad boys. They could be shot. So that's why they all donned the the armor, the very famous oh, the suits of armor. armor. Um, now, apparently, I've heard, again, I've read two different things. One that it was made um, quite quite recently to the to the event, but others that it was made like the year before. Um, so talk us through this armor if people haven't seen it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, it's almost like a it's sleeveless. Mm. <laughs> it's off it's, the shoulder number. It's an off the shoulder number. It's mostly just a chest plate, but then there is also like a hinge and then another bit. Just down the bottom, isn't there? And it's it's big, heavy metal. It's heavy big, metal. Heavy it weighed about forty five kilos, which so is Dave Warnocky. Yeah, nearly my weight. Yeah. So and then what? And then carrying you. And, and then, then there's a mask that looks like a a post box. Yeah, with basically. A little slit it's just for your eyes. Slit for the eyes. Apparently, I think it was Joe's, or it might have been Steve's. Was like slightly better, they reckon, just because the because of the coverage of the eyes. But you know, ultimately, so they're all wearing good. it. They're all wearing it. All all four of them had it on. Did you always just think it was just Ned? Well, that's the one you see in the in the library of the museum, as you're saying, yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, they all had them. But Ned's the famous one, but the others were all... But can you tell us why he's more famous? No, I don't he know. He was the leader why. of the gang. Yeah, he was the leader. Hmm. You still think if you had four people with those on, it's pretty impressive that... It's like the Bonnie and Clyde thing. There, there was more than just Bonnie and Clyde yeah, in that gang. but they were known. Yes, they were known, but that was because of those photos and stuff. And maybe this was because of his letter. So anyway, so Ned's gone, well, he's round the back. He's round the back. And he's wearing the armour. He's wearing the armour. Now, despite the armour, Joe was shot in the groin and died. Oh, that's you, Matt. But yeah, it, died it, a hero's death. But apparently, and also kind of cool, he was like having a drink at the bar when he was shot. Which is also how it's depicted in the movie. Same. So he was, what, shooting out and then went back for a drink? Went back for a drink. No, so like, they, they, okay, so Joe, Steve and Dan are all inside the hotel shooting through windows and doors at the police they're, outside. They're taking drink breaks. Ned has left. In the lulls, Ned's left Dave. the building. The In lull. the lulls, you can go get a whiskey. Help yourself, open bar. Bad boys. Okay, it's not that bad. So, yeah, uh, Joe was shot while having a drink at the bar, and the other two, um, was st- they kept shooting from the rear of the building st- all the way through to the morning. So it's, it started at, like, 3 a.m. when they flagged down the train. Now it's, like, 10 a.m., um, and they, they sort of hung a white flag out, out the door, and immediately afterwards about 30 male hostages emerged. So, so they've left, they've let everybody out now, or the, like pretty much everybody. There might, may still be a few extra people, um, still inside. And as dawn broke, Ned Kelly in his armour approached the police from the rear and began shooting at them with his revolver, despite his wounds. So he'd been shot in the arm and thumb, um... That's a, but he, otherwise he was okay. Apparently his armour wasn't even dented. Isn't that weird? Oh, wow, they just shot his arm and thumb. Yeah. Well, there's future... I mean, they they shoot him again some more. It's his Achilles... But at this stage, just an arm and a thumb. His Achilles heel is his thumb. Take mm. it out. <laughs> Get him. He's shooting at them. After about half an hour, he was shot in both unprotected legs, and then a wounded Ned was arrested and charged... Um, and and taken away, but uh, overall he was shot in the left foot, left leg, right hand, left arm, and twice in the region of the groin. Ooh. Oh, but Joe got shot in the groin once and died. Yeah, that was his Achilles heel, his Achilles <laughs> nut. Oh no, my groin, <laughs> not my groin. 
Did you just say nut me groin? <laughs> nut me groin. <laughs> nut me groin. Oh, are you doing an accent? That sounds like a that sounds like an old Irishman's name. Nut, nut me, me groin. groin. Nut Scottish me groin. Man. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> um, and what about Dan and? Oh, this is the mm. Steve. So all while this is happening, the siege is still continuing. By the afternoon, the shooting at the hotel had had stopped, and the police leader. One of the superintendents decided to set fire to the hotel and received permission from the chief secretary, Robert Ramsey. So at 2.50pm, a final volley was fired into the hotel and under the cover of fire, Senior Constable Charles Johnston placed a bundle of burning straw at the hotel's west side and as the fire took hold, the police began to close in on the building. So they're like, we'll smoke them out. Now, the bodies of Dan Kelly and Steve Hart were soon discovered. Now, based on their position, they they said they must have killed one another, but that's kind of impossible. Um, the exact cause of their death, whether in battle, smoke, inhalation, or by suicide, was never determined. This is ugh, no good. The body of Joe Byrne was strung up in Benella as a curiosity. Byrne's friends asked for the body, but it was instead secretly interred at night by police in an unmarked grave at the Benella Cemetery. Oh. They strung him up. Whereas Dan, Kelly, and Steve Hart were treated a little bit more respectfully. They were taken back to a family member's house, um, and then they were placed in very expensive coffins. The lid of one was lettered Daniel Kelly, died 28th of June, 1880, age 19. I bet that one was Dan Kelly's. Very good, it was. And the other said, what do you reckon? Uh, uh, Johnny Be Good. <laughs> Stephen Hart. Oh. There we go. Yeah, I know, weird. Died 20th of June, 1880, age 21. They were 19 and 21 years old. Wow, so young. So young. And they were buried as well in unmarked graves, which is um, real nice. But Kelly, Ned survived. He survived to stand trial, and he did that on the 19th of October in 1880. And the uh, trial was adjourned on the 28th. Uh, he was presented on charges of the murder of Sergeant Kennedy, Constable Scanlon and Lonigan, and various bank robberies, the murder of Sherritt, resisting arrest at Glen Rowan, and with a long list of minor charges as well. And he was convicted of the willful murder of Constable Lonigan and was sentenced to death by hanging by Justice Redmond Barry. Great name. Red Barry. There was, Red a, Barry. There was a Barry earlier. Yeah, well, again, there's not not that many of them. Yeah, not many families. Lots of names doubling up anyway. Very confusing. Barry. Great, great Aussie name. Badza. Barry. So do they have a long time on death row back then, or do they try and... Do they take you out the back straight away and hang you? A couple of weeks. And I think maybe maybe that was because it was quite a high-profile case as well. So the police probably wanted to be like, see, we bloody got him. Yeah. Do you know what his last meal was? I don't. Peas. His you're favorite. a fucking idiot. His favorite. <laughs> Love the piece. You're, Green... you're an embarrassment. Green for life. <laughs> was that, that was his last words, was it? No. Green for life were his last words. Now, Ned's final defiant stand against the Felons Apprehension Act um, and his pleas for justice to end discrimination against poor Irish settlers did end up opening the eyes of a lot of people. So even uh, towards the very end of his life, he was kind of fighting for that. So Ned Kelly in his armour came to symbolise a fight by a flawed hero. A convicted criminal for justice and liberty and innocent people. And this captured the imagination of writers, authors and the general public. So obviously there's been a lot of art, um, Mm. a lot of stories about him. Supposedly, is it 
seen to be, I think, the first ever feature film was about Ned Kelly. Yeah, that's right. It was right. an Australian film in, like, early 1900s. 1906, I believe. 06 or 07. Yeah, it was one of the first... 07 rings a bell to me. Yeah, 07 maybe. First feature <laughs> film. Yeah, crazy. Full-length that, feature film, yeah. They've lost a lot of it, but they they were able to recover some of it, so it's still... I think it's um, archived at the... Some sort of government... It's pretty amazing. ...thing. And it was about <laughs> Ned Kelly. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mick Jagger played him in that. In the, in the 1970 version. Oh, 1970. Yeah, not 1907. That was not Mick Jagger. Just mix those numbers up. <laughs> um... So, as I mentioned before, he was hanged on the 11th of November, 1880, at the Melbourne Jail, now known as the Old Melbourne Jail. Ah, at the mm. time, it wasn't old. It wasn't old. No. It was just the Melbourne Jail. The new, brand new, spanking, brand new. Spanking. Um, so, the Argus reported that the governor of the jail informed Ned that the hour of execution had been fixed at 10 o'clock and... Kelly, apparently, this is when he simply replied, such is life. Those were not his final words. Right. It's widely debated. It's debated. Some people do say it's his final words. Some argue, like, no, those are, those, like, those are some very poetic final words. Who's ever going to have such great no, final yeah, words? His last words well, you, actually... well, he's had two weeks to think about it. Mm. But his last words were, ow, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> ow. Ow, this really hurts. Guys, this is too tight. Honestly, I'm struggling to breathe with this thing. It's not funny anymore. Oh, there goes my neck. Great. <laughs> Snap. Ugh. Dead now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, that was a really moving yeah. moving portrayal of this final moment. Thank yeah. you very much. Wow. Emotional. Um, if I may actually talk about his final moments, have a yeah, little bit please. of respect for the dead, if you Sorry, wouldn't mind. You. Um, apparently he was... Because uh, it's, it's funny because there were reports all the way along that he would fight everybody. Like, if he was ever arrested, he would never go without a fight. He would, like... He got into so many brawls. But on this day, he was quite submissive. Apparently, apart, um, when passing the jail's flower bed, he remarked, what a nice little garden. <laughs> he was quite at peace. Wow, really? Yeah, apparently. Um, but said nothing further until he reached the press room where he remained until the arrival of the chaplain. And then uh, and then um, the Argus reported that Ned was asked, oh, he was, he, yeah, he intended to make a speech, but merely said, oh, well, I suppose it's come to this, as the rope was being placed around his neck. I suppose it's come to this. Such as life is probably a bit better, isn't it? Yeah. Same sort of idea. Have forgotten his speech? Is that what... I don't know if he'd forgotten or it was just like, what no. the fuck? Oh, hang the on. Point? I've left my notes in the, in the cell. If oh, we could just... Oh, something about uh, green being my favourite colour. Oh, it's come to this. It's <laughs> fucking come to this. I knew I'd forget. So, although the exact number is unknown, it's alleged that a petition for a commutation of sentence attracted over 30,000 signatures. Wow. So even... Like, he's become... He's become a uh, like a, a legend. He's a bloody folk now. hero. He's a folk hero now, but even at the time, there was a lot of support for him. And apparently, that was it was seen to be really dangerous. Like the authorities didn't like it because it really what supporting him. Yeah, they yeah. they they were worried that he was going to be seen as a as a hero as a hero. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's kind of interesting, and they they definitely played it up in the film as well, is that when Ned was eleven, he saved another boy from drowning. Yeah, and got uh, like he was presented with this green. Oh my god, a green sash! I've only just realised it was yeah. green. Of course it was. Of course it was it a was green, green sash for bravery, and it was presented to him by like you know important people in the town. He was really proud of that. Like 
even up until... And apparently he was wearing that under his armour. He was wearing his green oh sash for bravery under his armour when he was... Is that true? Yeah. Oh, my God. And that sash, I think, is still covered in blood, and and it's it's on display somewhere as well. But, yeah, that is that gentleman is my report on Ned Kelly. On Ned Kelly. So what do we all think of him? Well, that's do we the think thing. Where a, do we stand? Is he a criminal, or is he a hero, or a bit of both? Uh, you think- know, I think... I've actually, I've been thinking about it, and I think you know there's a conspiracy because here we go. Well, jet fuel doesn't melt oh, uh, body armor. <laughs> Open your eyes, people. Sheeple. Sheeple. Slaves. A lot of you. You're all fucking slaves to the Ned Kelly myth. What do you reckon? Oh, it's, it's very hard to say, isn't I it? I like him. I'm on his side. I don't think he made the best choices because you can't deny that he killed people and made some bad decisions. But It's tricky when you're, yeah, if you're in a crazy time like that, when it just feels like it, it, they were kind of wild days anyway. Yeah. They're putting you back against the wall. Live a shit life is one option or fight uh, is the other. And he was lovely to all the people he took hostage. Oh, Are you going to commute his sentence? Just make a decision. I'm going to be ambivalent. Uh, why? Why? What does it achieve? What, uh, what is saying one thing or another actually matter? It's just a nice little conclusion. You're just ruining the fucking podcast by not making a decision. I'm glad he You're was behaving around. behaving like a bloody accountant, mate. I'm glad. How he... dare you? <laughs> yeah, that's offensive. I'm glad he was around so we could have a great story about him 160 years after his birth. Oh. I think it's actually 162 years, Dave, but... Um... Well, apparently that's debatable. That is debatable. According to... You bloody got ya! Jess Perkins. Yeah, no, I think um, if anyone did this kind of... Had this behaviour now, when I have more respect for the police and the justice system... But at the time, it sounds like it's very, very dodgy and that they yeah. picked on him a lot, so... It's weird. It's very weird. And he's been really glorified, so, you know. One thing I'd like to say is I think that guy that ran away on the horse was not... Not a coward. Not a coward. Okay. I'm happy to go on the record with that one. I'm going on the record and saying that I thought that guy... McIntyre. Before I heard that other people thought he was a coward, I thought, well, that's brave. Jumped on a horse and got out of there. Yeah. McIntyre. Quick thinking. Saved his life. Anyway, I'm sorry that was hastily put together. Stop bringing attention to it. I don't think it seemed like that at all. Nailed it. I think that that was a bloody good time. Yeah. Soft clap. Build it up. At the back. Just the ladies and the gents. Let me hear you. A couple of whoops. Whoop. Whoop. That is a podcast report. Thank you, Jess. Uh, we're going to be back next week with me doing a report. But in the meantime, if you want to suggest what I can talk about, you can contact us. Do go on pod at gmail.com. Or at do go on pod on Twitter. The hat that we keep going with ideas is filling up to the brim. To the brim. We get. It's a part of a hat. Yeah, I was thinking that. We're gonna get a bigger hat. (laughs) We're gonna get a bigger hat for all your suggestions. Um, Obviously, if you uh, have the time, want to give us a little rating on iTunes. That always. uh, That'd be so. We won't say no. (laughs) Perks up, Jess Perkins. Yeah, she needs Perkin. Needs Perkin, so to speak. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll be back with a new report next week. And until then, um, don't rob any banks. Thank you, and goodbye. I'll rob a bank, that's fine. Yeah, whatever, do it.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.